If you enjoy these speakers, please consider joining us at the OA Birthday Party this January 18th through 20th at the LAX Hilton in sunny Los Angeles. This event includes workshops, speakers, marathons, panels, special focus meetings, and more with hundreds of OA members from around the world. Registration is just $45 through Thanksgiving and $55 after that. The OA rate at the Hilton for up to four people per room is just $134 per night. There is a hotel shuttle, so you don't even need a car. If you're interested, please visit oabirthday.org for more details. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Amy. Everyone, my name is Amy, and I'm a, a compulsive overeater. Hi, Amy. Hi. Um, I'm really happy to be here. I'm also slightly terrified. Um, and one of the things that program um, has taught me that is, I can feel two things at exactly the same time, and they both are valid. Um, in this particular program, oftentimes this feeling I'm having, kind of rid in my solar plexus, is. I would sometimes think with hunger, you know, like, shouldn't we just go have dinner and we can all call it a day? But, um, <laughs> but I've learned the difference. I mean, just like anxiety and excitement can kind of feel the same, I've learned to just put a pause when that feeling comes up because I used to eat over all of these feelings. I mean, that's how I survived as a child. Um, and I'm really grateful for this program. I came in uh, three and a half years ago, and um, I have two other programs. So this is my third program. I did not want another program. I don't know if anyone does. Um, but it, <laughs> at some point, I remember uh, my the ex-husband said to me, you know, you're, um, he's not in any programs, but he said if you, if you have less than three programs or in denial about something, and um, which is funny coming from him, if you know him, but um, I now have three, and that felt right. I mean, this is a program I've gone on the website multiple times over the years when I was in my other programs and looked at the, you know, checklist and saw where I identified, and there were different times where I would identify more or less, but overall, this was kind of that secret that I carried my whole life, because um, you know, food was the biggest tool I had as a child. And um, as I go, as I was like preparing to talk today and share with you all, I um, I just wanted to look back without kind of staring, but just remembering what it was like for me as a kid. And um, and I realized that. Um, I grew up in, you know, when I was in college, let me start here, that um, I was walking around Evanston, I went to school in Chicago, and um, I remember a new friend was asking me what my family was like, and I just said, normal, we're a normal family, and I had that kind of 
moment in my head going, really? I don't think we were normal. I didn't have the consciousness yet about how not normal it was. But at that point, I couldn't remember anything in my childhood before age nine. Nothing. It was just a complete blank. Um, age nine is when my sister was born, and then I kind of recreated an identity for myself based on her. And I was the older sister, and I, you know, she was nine years younger than me, and I could kind of present differently. Um, but in my 20s is when I kind of, I said I had like a midlife or mid-20s life crisis. That's when kind of everything started the cracks started to appear, and things, you know, I had built a life um, that was successful and looked great on paper, but I was miserable inside, and the food was a theme throughout it all, and um, when I started to think back about my childhood and the first kind of memories came back, um, my household was one in which my dad uh, worked all the time, so pretty much a workaholic, so there were isms there. And my mom um, raged a lot and was really angry, didn't know how to handle uh, my brother and I. And we just, um, we coped. I mean, I remember so many times sitting around the dinner table waiting for my dad to come home and my mom telling us that if he loved us, he'd be home having dinner with us. So those were the kind of feelings we had around food, right? Because this was the place where we were supposed to get our nourishment, and it was mostly filled with anxiety and not feeling loved and cared for. I remember as a child eating um, so much pineapple that my entire mouth blistered because I just couldn't get enough. That feeling of not enoughness wasn't okay. And then there, you know, um, there's a lot of denial. And at age six, around age six, because um, memory kind of... It's funny, I... Um, my parents sent me over to my aunt and uncle's house, and there started about three years of sexual abuse. So the uncle was my dad's sister's ex-husband. And food was the only way to survive that. Um, it was the only thing I could do to um, make it okay when they came over for holidays, was sit on the porch and eat chips and dip, um, because I needed food to make me safe and secure because the adults weren't around me. And this was the tool that I had at that time. And I'm so grateful for that. And as I got older, though, you know, it just wasn't working anymore because what happened was I would start to obsess and I would start to focus on myself and the pendulum swing of gaining weight and losing weight just started to come um, all the time. And as I think back during that time, the shame around, like, it, it, obviously I had blocked all of this, so it wasn't until my 20s that I began to unpack what it was like for me as a child who had been abused sexually, and during that time is one where I just, the safest thing to do is blame myself, so I had a hateful relationship with my body, and there was nothing like the disease of compulsive overeating and gaining weight to take it out on me. Right, because it was just, I, I, I was separate from. I also, like, left my body during much of that abuse. So I had to learn how to be in my body, and I had no tools. Um, the home life itself, my mom, I believe, was a compulsive overeater. She um, often, there were all sorts of diets all around. I used to joke because she turned orange once because she was on a carrot diet, and so she ate so many carrots. Her skin literally turned orange. Um, and then my dad would... Um, he was kind of wanting the perfect-looking family, and so he would come up and, you know, 
that special K commercial pinch more than an inch, and so he would come around me and start pinching. And um, and for me, I was the weight in a way also helped me just be safe in the world. It gave me a cushion between me and others because others were not safe. So it was this way for me to manage relationships and manage my mom too because her rage would um, would send me into hiding. But it also sent me into the pantry to, you know, cut the cake all the time, little slivers and make it even because that was some kind of a compulsion thing I could get to do. And those things, but I always had this thinking that if I didn't get caught, if no one saw me do it, it didn't count. And what did that mean? It didn't count. It didn't count for calories. It didn't count for bad or good. It just didn't count. It didn't exist because no one else saw me do it. But that's not reality, and it would live on my body, and I would feel it, and then I'd hate myself, and the shame spiral would continue, and I would just kind of live in that darkness. Um, And there was no real way out of it at the time. I, you know, as a teenager, I just kind of left home as much as I could and hung out with my friends and continued to um, use food and not eat very much to you know, control in that way or overeat and binge to connect with others. Um, my, I am that compulsive overeater, but I also relate it to people. So my people pleasing would come up in my eating. If someone else was eating something and I didn't even want to eat it, I would eat it too because I didn't want to get them mad. And I thought I had to be safe to make myself safe. I had to make sure they were okay. And, um, And also in my household, there were no boundaries at all. So anyone, my mom and her friends, would all comment on what I looked like. You know, you can't see, but like give me, you know, the checkout, the the up and down with the eyes. And it would always be like, or comment on what food I was eating or wasn't eating. And I just didn't want to be controlled like that. So, but I still made myself worth based on that. So if I saw someone I hadn't seen in a while and they didn't comment on how I looked, then that meant I looked horrible and I looked overweight and fat. But why didn't they say anything? I've been doing this and that. How did they not notice? They became the higher power. And then I would react to that. So whatever their opinion of me was or whatever was going on in their life, and there was tons of isms all over the place. So I gave them that much power throughout my whole life. And that just continued as I started to go to college and work and worked in a field that had a lot of external judgments around it. And, um, like I said, looked great on paper, and I had a lot of success early on, but it was still that same thing of, like, if you thought I was okay, then I was okay. I had no sense of that self-worth and that self. And the food was my tool. Um, And I was thinking back to my first job. That was my second job out here in L.A., well, first, when I first moved to L.A., I, of course, went on a new diet, and that was great. And you ate fruit until noon. But, like, the way I did it was I ended up at the um, vending machine at 12.01, right? So, like, I had had my food, and then I went to the vending machine. And that was normal. And then I had lunch, you know, 15, 20 minutes later. But, like, that was the way I, had, I could deal with that. And I lost weight, but I was, you know, not sane. Um, I love in the reading that this is a program for sane eating and successful living. Uh, I was just finished my 11 steps on my 12th step, and it was in there, I think, that I read that, or maybe the 10th step. But it was just that idea of um, 
can I be sane? I didn't know a way to do that. I didn't, wasn't raised with the tools to know how to be sane around food. Um, and then I started, that was the first job that I had here. And then the second job was across from the Ivy <laughs> on Robertson. And my boss would order hot fudge sundaes for the entire, from the Ivy every day for the entire, you know, team. And um, I don't think I ever ate one ever after all that time. So it was just kind of funny, but like then eventually, you know, after like a couple years of that, they cut her off because it was like, it was an expensive um, <laughs> novelty, but, um, but not the healthiest one. But I just also could do that restricting thing because I didn't, um, I didn't know where to start and stop. I didn't know how to stop if I started. And so it was terrifying. And, um, and then during those years, during my work years, I also stopped kind of, I used to, like pride myself on eating uh, toast for dinner and ended up with pneumonia and um, was sick out of work for three weeks. And I think I just didn't know how to take care of myself. I was still running from a lot of the abuse stuff that I had that hadn't really come to surface yet. It was still in my 20s. So I just this stuff just kept bubbling up. And um, I didn't have program. I didn't know about program. I didn't know about addiction. I just was kind of like running on what little I knew of spirituality and being in L.A. And, um, and I think of who I am as a seeker. I've always been a seeker. So I sought out people who seemed to have something more than I did and understood things. And so um, I tended to run kind of in the deep end of stuff. I wanted to have those kind of conversations. I wasn't there yet, but I knew something wasn't right. And... I would go to these like beautiful places in the world and be re and just be so sad. But my journal, if I look back, was all about being fat and all about what I ate and didn't eat and how miserable I was and how am I going to do this the next day. That's all I wrote about. I didn't know how to write about anything else and how I hated my body. And it wasn't until I really remembered being abused and really got to own that part of my life that I got to see, like, oh, that was how I dealt with it. I didn't have any other way to know what was going on. Um, and I, thank God, had enough support around me to begin to to look through those journals, right? Because on a, on a level, it looks like just a superficial young girl. All she could talk about was her obsession about her body and her weight. And, and yet there was so much pain and um, suffering underneath that. And, um, and again, lacking no tools whatsoever, I did recognize, though, that the industry in which I was working was not one that matched who I was or who my values were. So I was able to kind of, um, after eight years and a lot of work and a you know, workaholism is what came to be my life at that time. So I, and I used food to be able to do that, which was work all the time, work harder, do more, and get further. And I didn't know where I was going. I didn't have, like, a plan. I knew I just needed to do better, be more successful, and, um, and just keep going no matter what. Just don't stop. And it wasn't until I kind of like, where, why am I doing this? And, my, again, my mid-20s life crisis <laughs> With some, with some dear friends around me to kind of go, oh, okay, I need to slow down, and I need to see what's what. And I decided to leave that industry and, you know, start to find my own way and wanted to do things with my hands and started doing more creative stuff. And I've always been entrepreneurial by nature and started to find new things to do. And, um, and I moved to the beach. I was like, if I'm going to stay in L.A., my 
family's on the East Coast, and let me see what this is like. Um, so I stayed on the West Side since then. But, um, but I also, that's when I met the husband at the time, soon after that. And um, I laughed because one of the things that happened when I first met him was we were um, on our first date, and we went to go see a movie at the Old Man Chinese, and he got a big popcorn and dumped a bunch of goobers in it. And I, I, don't even, I wouldn't even let myself have popcorn. And I was just so enthralled by that, like the freedom and all of the amazing things that that brought on that I couldn't even believe someone would be willing to break all of those rules. Because <laughs> I was living with such rules my whole life. My mom's rules, mostly, but they were her rules, not mine. And, um, and that, like, kind of put me in a situation that, uh, you know, I'm no longer married, and <laughs> I look back on that as going, huh, that was an interesting check mark in the positive category, you know, like, <laughs> on the plus side of things. But... Um, but it just shows my state of mind. Like, I had been constricting and restricting, even though I didn't feel like I had the body or looked like I did, wanted um, so much that the freedom of that was really attractive in somebody else. And, um, and one of the things, once I got into program and, you know, how I ended up in program, that's more related to the marriage and having children, um, I was just so grateful that there was a path of healing and that and like two of my favorite three of my favorite words they're not two is little by little and we talk about it in the literature and we say it often because I need incremental change if it's quick and fast I will like just react to that and I'll feel controlled and I will do the opposite um I don't like feeling controlled. And so for me, little by little, learning little by little, being open and willing to see something differently than I had thought. Um, I was going to start today with the set-aside prayer because I feel, you know, I've walked around my life. Part of what had to happen when I was young was I had to know things. I had to control things that were so, like, didn't make any sense in the world. So the set-aside prayer provides for me something to... To, to just remember that I can set aside everything I think I know about myself, my addictions, my relationships, and God. And I call my higher power God because it's in setting aside all of that which I know that allows something new to come in. And I knew the way I was doing it wasn't going to work anymore. And wasn't working. It was clear. I wasn't happy. I was doing these things called morning pages for years. And it was similar. The same stuff kept coming up. It was a lot of my weight and fat and misery and at these jobs. And it was a lot of what have I done wrong, what's not good enough, and all these people who I felt like were doing to me. Um, so blame was a big part. Feeling victimized was a big part. Um, and the fact is I was a victim as a child. But as I grew up, I was then acting that out everywhere I went. And I didn't know how to heal from it or know how to deal with it, but the programs, my first programs, gave me that path through little by little. And um, I thought I was living emotionally sober, but I was just using food to not get mad, you know, or using food to cover up how I really felt because I didn't, it was dangerous to feel. And um, when I came into OA, too, one of the things like, I was, I didn't sleep at all last night. Like, I was nervous about this. There was a full moon. I mean, there's who knows what else was going on. But I felt that um, 
There's also a part of me that feels deep within me because of the abuse in particular. Like, I will die if I speak up. I will, if I tell my story and sit up here in front of you, it's not like, oh, you know, you'll be laughed at or judged. Of course, that's always a fear. But it's like, I will die if I speak up. So I know in my adult body and in my relationship with higher power that that's no longer true. But there's parts of me that still can operate that way. And and I had to, and I have an, the recovery and the grace with fellows and different work that I do to be able to kind of like hold that part of myself and just be kind to her. And um, it still didn't help me sleep. I don't think I fell asleep till like 4.30 in the morning. Um, but it allowed me to, while I was not sleeping, rest. I could, you know, I have, my toolbox is so large right now because of all of these different programs that I have, the three programs. Um, and this one in particular, I mean, I started earlier saying that I didn't want a third program, and that is true. More meetings, more steps, although I actually love the steps. Um, but I didn't want more and to try harder because, like, that's not recovery for me to try harder, do more, and um, and make it kind of and grind at it. That's not the kind of recovery that I need and want. I feel excited that I can say, you know, that coming into OA was completely opposite. I walked in, and the the warmth of the fellowship was like nothing I had experienced in my other programs. And everyone was really kind and offering different availabilities or call and different ways to handle things and do things and I was just astonished that I could have so much love by adding a program that I can that there's more abundance than I ever thought could be possible in a program by coming to a new program and um, and that was that's recovery for me because I didn't have to do more try harder and you know force anything to happen um, certainly around my weight that was always it you know, use the whip to beat myself up, to get myself to either change this or change that. And um, and what was interesting is when I came into program, I, you know, started working the steps pretty quickly, got a sponsor, and then um, had a, a, an abstinence pretty, you know, within a couple weeks. And um, I broke that abstinence after about five weeks. And it was kind of one of those things I didn't even know I was doing it, and then I realized I had done it. But the voice inside my head that showed up when I broke it was so nasty and mean. And it wasn't mine, and it wasn't one that I want, that wasn't recovery for me. That it was, I have an amazing sponsor who helped me recognize that, like, oh, maybe that wasn't the right abstinence for you. And let's look at something different. And we did, and um, and now I look at my abstinence today is rigorous honesty, and um, and that's different than some people's abstinence. And for like two years in the program, every time I heard your abstinence, the Al-Anon in me was like, I got to have the wrong abstinence. I need your abstinence, even if I was doing what you were doing, it was still not good enough. Um, but that rigorous honesty, what I learned is. It's such, like, now that I'm in this place, it is the perfect abstinence for me because I'm no longer hiding. 
I'm no longer in the pantry. If I'm going to cut something or eat something, I'm going to let my sponsor know every single day. And, you know, there are times where I'm like, am I going to do it anyway? Okay, yeah, I'll do it anyway. But other days I don't. I'm like, okay, I don't need to do that. I can pause and, you know, wait 10 minutes and email somebody or text somebody or make a call. But for me, healing from that shame of the hiding and the isolating and doing it alone is the biggest gift of my abstinence. And, and also that I didn't have to have that voice that was not the healthy voice in me. That was the control voice, the voice that was trying to make everything safe for my whole life that was never able to do it. And, and I gave food all these qualities that food could never, it, it doesn't have. Food's supposed to nourish us, okay, but not keep me safe, not make me secure, not turn me invisible. Because if I had extra weight and walked around with my hands crossed all the time, which I can still do quite a bit, I feel invisible. And I wanted to be invisible because if I was exposed, I could be really hurt and harmed again. And I didn't want that anymore. And the program and this new abstinence allowed me that. Now, I have a food plan that definitely addresses some of the, the specifics around food for me that I need addressed. And there's certainly things I do not eat and certain foods that I eat occasionally, but most of the time don't. Um, and I have a structure of three meals and two optional snacks. But for me, that works because I learned, too, that if I miss my morning snack on those days when I'm like wanting to like point a finger at myself, I tended to eat more because I like it was better for me to have a reasonable, healthy snack in the morning and eat a reasonable and healthy snack at lunch. Now, that doesn't work for everybody, but I had to listen and hear for me what works. And God comes in the program in that way. But for me, having to um, feel into that idea of everybody else had it right and I didn't if I didn't do it this certain way. And, and there were people in the world who would tell me this is the only way to eat, which just felt just like my mother. So I would want to do the complete opposite, um, which is not healthy either. Um, I had to learn how to navigate and trust myself. And trust that, yes, the, the compulsive overeating and the addiction, there's certain trigger foods for sure. But my triggers are my treasures too because they are the places where I can still see where I need to grow and heal. And there are certain things I need to put in place so that I don't, yeah, there's some things where there's just a line there. Like I don't do that because I don't want a migraine and I don't want to be sick. And... Um, and I'm and I'm graced with the ability to, to live that way. But I also know that life is messy and it is not easy to have all these feelings. And if I just take away the food without the path to emotional sobriety and a way to understand what's going on and tools in which to express it, then I don't want to be like just ru running around dumping my rage on everybody because I'm hungry, you know, and I've done that, too. And um and I'm a mom of, I you mentioned, I'm a mom of two girls, 16 and 13. And when, like, they came into the world, I wanted to do it differently. And I was fiercely protective of them. And, and I believe in a healthy way. And I still can't control what's going to happen for them in the, with this disease. They live in this. And I, you know, from, I didn't, I, I, I work at times, um, well, I won't say that, but um, in a, 
I didn't want to bring, I, I intentionally did not have fashion magazines come in to the house when they were younger. And I, and if they did, we talked about it. How much Photoshop was on there, how, how these are staged and, and pinned and cut and, and manipulated, that this was not the ideal. Um, and, grace, and gratefully, I have a friend who can help tell that story to them in a way that they can understand as well, because she has worked in that world. And, and I didn't let us use the word fat to describe bodies. It, yes, it's oil and things like that, but if we talked about overweight or underweight or healthy weight, things like that, I don't know if that was right. That just felt like right to me because I didn't want that anymore. I didn't want to be checked out by the people who I love, who are around me, and feel that shame. You know, I didn't know what shame was when I came into program, my earlier programs. I do now because it was so, it was all the time. And it's, it's just that feeling of unworthiness, that feeling of, um, it's just icky. <laughs> and it's not that it's gone away, because things can still happen to trigger me and to feel that shame of rejection and um, disconnection and, gosh, we, I just want to feel parts of love and belonging, but I think we all do. And when life happens, I now have, I don't have, it's not the food that I go to to help me feel connected, because that was the path, too. You know, food, I can chew on an idea. Food will help me feel connected. It would also help me feel grounded in a world that feels really scary. I still want that today. I want to feel grounded. But thank God I have a higher power that I could go to. And the steps that have helped show me a way through my own um, disordered thinking around food and my body. And my life looks nothing like I thought it would. And I am the happiest I've ever been. And I have a really difficult <laughs> ex-husband. And I had to leave that marriage in a lot of fear where it got physical. And I had to go hide at a friend's house with my two daughters at the time. And I came out of that because I wanted to show them a different way. And I had a program and people around me to really support me in that. And that was the right decision to leave that marriage. Um, and today I can see within myself that stronger self-worth. And the, the food at that time, you know, that was when I just wasn't eating. And then I thought, oh, how great I'm not eating, <laughs> you know. All this hell is going on, and I just was happy that I was maybe going to lose some weight. Um, but the truth of the matter is I was on the floor of the bathroom praying to God, and I really got my connection there in that moment because I didn't know what else to do. And it was me sitting there on the floor of the bathroom praying for what I learned was the highest good. Oh, there's a highest good. I don't have to know how this is supposed to end. I had no no idea how it was going to end. I just knew I had to do take some kind of action. And that was 2011. And here I am years later supporting my girls um, my older daughter decided she wanted to go to boarding school. She went there this year as a sophomore. My younger one has a lot of anxiety, and together we're working on a, you know, working through some of that. And I can see them, the disease, it's in our culture. It's everywhere. Um, my mom can still bring it on them, but I have tools in which I can talk to her about it. Or my, or my older daughter, she's like, God, I have this weird feeling. I don't know what it is. 
And I know what that is. I know what that shame is. I can talk to her about it as a path away from that. And today I see, um, I love that Leonard Cohen quote about, um, you know, the cracks are beautiful because that's where the light comes in. And if I can start to see, feel that, then I don't have to fill it, those cracks with food. And, um, and, I, and I'm so grateful for that. And it's, and it's a daily reprieve, you know, continued day after day of showing up. I do my 10-step every day, which I call gaps, which is my gratitudes, my abstinence, which is I say everything I ate that day. And I also include water, exercise, and sleep. Because for me, it's about a healthy life. And those are really key. If I don't have enough water, enough sleep, they will affect my food and exercise, too. Um, it affects my sanity and affects and it's a successful way of living. Um, and then my, what I'm powerless over. So those are my gaps, and I send that to my sponsor every day. And, um, and that feels good. That's working for me today. And um, I'm in a lot of transition. I, um, and I don't know what's going to come around the corner. And, um, but what I do know is that I have the tools necessary um, to, to feel it all. I don't want to be in, like, the manipulation of the mind and the control that I know so well, the perfectionism. Um, as part of my seventh step, I, um, I create these little cards to what I want my defect to be replaced by. And I picked one before I came, and it was permission to make mistakes, which is how I live life, and I have to live life. Because living in the perfectionism, um, of the, which I can do, I can use program against myself, that's not recovery for me. Um, and, I, and today, I was so happy to get that for this, you know, for today's speaking, because it's just, it's, you know, I'm granting the permission, I'm being granted the permission to do that. It doesn't mean I have to live up to some ideal, because that's what it was like as a child, and I failed miserably all the time, and I was miserable. And, um, and the pendulum doesn't swing today. Maybe a little, but my clothes fit. They all fit. They, it's like, it, that's just a miracle to me, that I don't have that angst that would happen, because the pendulum would swing so much, I would just be miserable and want to stay in and not go out to the party. And, and sometimes I think it wouldn't, and, and then I was like, oh, and is it, you know, listen, the mind will still tell me things that aren't right, but I'm at a time in my life where everything is changing, and that is in my body, and that is way beyond my control. And it is about acceptance there, and reading on acceptance, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. And that's where the love is. That's where the cracks are. That's where the growth is. And I'm going to continue seeking because I don't, I'm not going to find the security in the food. Um, I still want to go to it sometimes because it seems like the easy fix, but it's not. And the price tag is way too high. And it doesn't mean I do it perfectly, permission to make mistakes all the time, but by being able to call it out and share it and not hide in it, um, it's healing me, and I'm able to kind of show up here and, and talk about things that I thought if I had ever talked about, I would die. And, um, and instead, it's, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm excited to be here, and I want to thank Michelle for asking me to be here and thank the podcast because, you know, when I can't get to meetings all the time, I listen to these podcasts. They've been such a huge part of my recovery. 
So everybody's out there who's listening, you know, thank you. And everyone who makes this happen, um, thank you from the bottom of my heart because I'm not alone. I can walk and take a walk and listen to a podcast and and hear somebody else's story and I can take what I like and leave the rest. If there's something I say that you don't relate to or doesn't work for you, that's beautiful because that means you know yourself and I know myself and this is my, you know, path to continuing to grow and learn and um, and model for my girls a different way than I learned. And um, and when I have a resentment that I know that I can't seem to get rid of, my sponsor has me ask, you know, what do you what, what do you get by holding on to it? And what do you get by giving it to God? And usually I, I guess really, really clear then because there's something that I'm getting out of it. And um, and if I keep that resentment too long, then that cycle starts all over again. And um, and it's not about doing it perfectly. It's really about showing up and, um, and, and being present in my life because I'm being emotionally sober to the best of my ability with God's help. And then I just want to end with something I wrote at the end of when I was doing my 11th step. So my sponsor wanted me to write down um, something that I had written for my 11th step. And so this is the last thing I wrote, which was, I've become enamored with my life and feel the abundance within me and around me. I feel the love within me and around me. I am at peace and trust that everything is as it's supposed to be, exactly as it's supposed to be. And I think I will end there. Is there time for questions? Yeah. Hi, my name is Akumpa. I'm a restrictor, compulsive overeater, and dysmorphic. Hey. Hi. I want to thank you so much for your share. I identified with everything, beginning with the mom who, like, had you under a microscope. Nothing was ever good enough. Too fat, too thin, it didn't matter. And even with, um, you know, once I had a daughter, trying to figure out how do I raise her so that she doesn't thank you so much so you said something that was really poignant which was my triggers are my treasures Hmm. can you share more about what that means I said uh, the question is I said that um, my triggers are my treasures and what does that mean Um, I heard that at a meeting recently and it really resonated with me because when I am triggered with the tools of the program I can stop and I can pause and in that trigger I have an opportunity if I don't cover it up with, with any kind of drug food included or rage or anything, then I have an opportunity to see what's going on for me and feel the feeling. And that it's in that pause that I can then unravel something um, that I maybe would have missed before because I would have been reacting to somebody else and then off in the drama, whereas the treasure is that I can own it for myself and it becomes part of me and part of my healing to see what it was and I, um, and, I, and I get to write about it and say, okay, what, what does this remind me of? And I can then give it to God, too. Thank you. Thank you for your experience. What was your first holiday um, in the program? Like, because holidays are for indulgence and 
I kind of backslid Thursday and whatever. And um, I mean, I was thinking about that. Um, I'm not officially here in the program. I'm just taking a tour, right? Mm-hmm. And um, right. I was like, wow, how do these people, these people, can take a tour and then not a part of the so the question is, how do I, how do I do it my very first holiday? Um, I'm trying to remember my first holiday. I can see my, like, I went to my, I have a first event in, in, which is somewhat similar to a holiday, which was a wedding that I was invited to. And I remember, um, with, with the image stuff, with the dress, with um, how I was looking, because my penchant is just to worry all about the image stuff. And I remember sharing at a meeting, I'm going to bring God. God is going to take care of my accessories. God's going to be my accessories. So for me, it was bringing higher power into areas I had never, ever expected before. And then in the reality, too, it was talking to fellows and really getting, hearing how other people handled certain situations. So... Um, learning things that I was able to, I had a snack before I went to an event that was healthy and abstinent. Um, and what was amazing is the people that I went with didn't, and the food was really, really late, and so everybody was starving, but I felt um, appreciated. So I think it's um, learning from others, for sure, and listening to um, what people have to say. Thank you very much.